We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast. Chris and I are delighted that you've joined us for another faith-fueling episode. And in today's episode, we will continue our insightful study of the Epistle of James as he talks about real faith for real life. And you'll find in our discussion today that sometimes real life clashes with real faith. Mm -hmm. As James talks about internal desires that cause external conflicts. We certainly hope you'll stay tuned until the end and learn with us as we study this convicting passage. So, Brother Chris, why don't you get our boat rowing today and start us off? Most certainly, brother. As always, it's a pleasure to record another episode with you. And I want to thank our listeners for their patience as my wife and I have brought forth another child into this world this past week. So, Brandon and I were unable to record last Friday, but I'm glad to be back at it, and I'm so thankful that we have listeners like you all that are patient and understanding uh, about all of the many circumstances of life that we go through. But today we're reviewing, as Brother Brandon was talking about, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, looking at the war within. And all physical war begins with an internal war, and that's the topic we're really going to focus on and people fight for a reason. And these wars that we see all around the world, they don't just pop up out of nowhere for no real reason. It starts with an ideology. It starts with a desire, something that leads someone to go forward that contradicts someone else's desires. And before too long, you've got all out warfare, but internal Pride and greed lead to these ideologies that bring about many consequences, bad consequences a lot of times. So when we see chaos all around us, we, which, you know, we've talked about this before in other episodes, that it's something that the devil brings forward. He wants mm-hmm. to see us fall. He wants to see chaos and and he wants to see us uh, fighting and bickering and, and quarreling amongst each other. But when we see all of that chaos happening in our midst, we have to ask a deeper question, a question that James asks us to ponder here in this passage that we're going to read. So let's go ahead and start out reading James chapter 4, verse 1, just the, the first half of it. And James asks this question, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And I have a lot to say on that, but I'm going to go ahead and let Brother Brandon take us off and explain this. So, Brother Brandon, what insights do you have to share with us concerning this question right here? Sure. Well, it's pretty obvious that from the get-go here, James plainly states that Christians fight, argue, and quarrel. And he does so in his typical fashion by stating the obvious in in the form of a question. As Chris already read, he simply asks here, what is it that causes quarrels and what is it that causes fights among you? Mm -hmm. James really wants to get to the bottom. 
The bottom of why believers sometimes get into petty squabbles with one another and form factions and divisions. As the message translation reads, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think that they just happen? And of course, James will give us the answer to that question in the second part of verse uh, 2, as we'll get into in just a moment. But we must note at this point that for James to even ask about the source of quarrels and conflicts among saints assumes that there are conflicts and quarrels among saints. If we were always united and in total agreement and accord with one another, this passage would not need to be written. Right. But he's asking this question because such quarreling and conflict exists even among believers. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, that's that's quite a surprising reality, considering that one of the defining realities of being a believer is unity. Right. The fact that we are inseparably united to other believers in one big spiritual family. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we might expect conflict and division among institutions of the world, such as governments and workplaces. Right. But conflict in the church, mm-hmm. that, that seems to be a contradiction. Right. How is it that there can be brawling among true brethren, division among those united in Christ, and disagreement among those called to agree on the fundamentals of sound doctrine? Right. Well, the simple answer, as we're going to see in a moment, is sinful desire. Mm-hmm. That's what ultimately leads to this brawling division, disagreement, and conflict. When we are consumed with an evil lust to get our own way, we will push everyone else out of our way. Mm-hmm. And that's where the seeds of conflict are ultimately sown. But we'll see more about that in a moment. Chris, yeah. tell us a little bit more about the first part of verse 1 here. Well, we most certainly have disagreements as believers. Uh, One of the things that Brother Brandon and I and Brother Robbie, who will eventually be back with us and sharing with us here on the Faith 168 podcast, we like to to talk about some of our disagreements, but more in a joking way and more in an educational way. And so there's disagreements. But when we let some of these what we call secondary issues get in the way, it, it can really be discouraging and it can be detrimental to the growth of the church. And we see the first century church when we look at Acts chapter two, right before thousands and thousands were added to the church. What did it say that they were doing there, that they had all come together and were they quarreling and, and fighting and, and disagreeing with one another, even though they probably had a lot of different opinions on some things? No, they came together in one accord on the simple doctrine that Jesus Christ is Lord. He supplies eternal life through faith. He calls us to the repentance of sin. And they went out and they preached the gospel. And there was no quarrel about what they were going to preach. It's later as the church is growing and quarrelsome people were coming into it that you see Paul has to write some letters saying, hey, guys, why don't you just shut your mouths right now? Right, right. And stop arguing back and forth. But we see this many times in Scripture. And and that's one thing I love so much about Scripture is that we see imperfect people serving a perfect God and, and carrying out the perfect will of God. And in that, we see many times where 
there is some type of sharp rebuke, some type of of problem that has to be fixed. I, I remember reading in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 40, and it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so we see Barnabas, and if you remember Barnabas and Paul's relationship, the apostles and other disciples didn't want to take Paul in at all. Right. And Barnabas was the one who really encouraged mm-hmm. them and, and really took up for them. And there was a very good friendship between Paul and Barnabas, and, and they did a lot of great work together for the glory of God. And I think God would have been served greatly had they stayed together. I think God's glory was still shown no matter what, but they had two different opinions. And guess what? There was an argument between them. Mm-hmm. And rather than letting it destroy them, I think they did a very mature thing and just said, all right, well, I'm going to go this way. You go that way. And though I don't think we ever see the reconciliation here, I really believe that there was probably reconciliation somewhere along the line. But Paul also had to correct Peter because he was showing favoritism to the Jews over the Gentile converts. And that was a very big thing right there in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. But when Cephas, as y'all remember, that's what uh, Jesus gave Simon Peter, that, that name, Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even, here's the name again, Barnabas was led astray by mm. their hypocrisy. And, and so we see many times in scripture these two one these two points right here they stick out to me the most where there's an argument a disagreement and a lot of times i think in arguments both parties are usually wrong but i think we see here in these two arguments there's one party that's right we see in acts chapter 15 that everyone was in agreement with paul towards the end of that. And we see in Galatians chapter two, that Paul was standing upon the word of God and looking towards God's will while Simon Peter was looking towards his own desires and his own comfort. And so there was a, a rebuke there. There was an argument there. And I do think that both of these arguments led to something better eventually. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, when people argue like that, there there's, not as much spiritual maturity as we see written right here within scripture. Uh, But it leads us to our next question in verse one, which reveals the answer really to the first, uh, where do these quarrels originate from? 
And the answer is they originate from our selfish desires and passions. And that's what James writes in the second part of verse one. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so we look at Simon Peter right there, his passion, his desire was to be accepted by his countrymen. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he neglected his brothers and sisters in Christ to show favoritism and he had to be called out. And so we're human and our desires, they cause us to stumble. And it's very important for us to realize this, this point that people hate to hear in our culture that says, it's all about you. It's all about your comfort. It's all about your truth. Do what you want to do. But that's not what scripture tells us to do. Scripture is constantly telling us to put our desires aside. Why? Because God knows the evil and selfish ambitions of man. He knows, he knows our depravity. And that's why he says, it's better for you to let me do the leading and you do the following rather than following after your own heart, your own evil desires. But in Galatians 5, 16, Paul says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so when we focus on what we want rather than God's will, then we're always going to be doomed to fail. As an individual, if we focus on our desires, we're going to see the world crumble around us. Um, If we're talking about a church setting as a church, if we focus more on what we want to do as a church, as in our desires as a church, not what God wants us to do as a church, then we're going to see the church crumble around us. Mm -hmm. And, And I think... A lot of churches have have asked this question as they're closing their doors a lot of times. What happened? Mm -hmm. I wanted the pulpit over here. I wanted the pulpit over there. I wanted 10 screens. I wanted no screens. I wanted red carpet. I wanted blue carpet. (laughs) And and what usually closes down a church is is not, uh, you know, these these issues concerning doctrines and stuff. A lot of times what closes down the church are these secondary issues, Mm -hmm. uh, more like worldly issues, like our worldly desires, what we wanted to see happen. And and I actually, I kind of get tired too of the argument why people won't go to church. Well, they don't have enough for me. Well, guess what people church wasn't created to, to be a servant in the sense for your desires, the church, was established to bring forth the will of God Mm -hmm. to, to serve God here in this world. And to be a part of a church is not to have a church serve you, but you become a servant of God and strive forward with that church. So, uh, but here's, here's another thing I I like in scripture that Paul writes Philippians two, 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Bring that up in a business meeting, before a business <laughs> meeting, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain 
or labor in vain. And, and there's an importance to why a Christian, why the elect, why the people of the church should not get into these arguments over our selfish desires. And it's because our unity sets us apart from the world. Yes, right. How can we expect the world to give up their time and come out to church and worship with us when we, you know, invite them? And then they get there and they realize that the church is acting like the world is well. And they come to this conclusion, well, I get all of this at home. I can literally get all of this at home. So on Sundays, on Wednesdays, whenever we're doing any outreach programs, I'm just going to stay at home because I'm experiencing the same things at home. I don't need to go to church. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. And and it's crazy. And that, that the church sometimes gets that way. And I think we have to do a lot of self-reflection on that. Is, is that what we as individuals are doing? Is that what we as a church are doing? And when we see it, we we need to either be the ones to be like Paul and give a sharp rebuke to giving in to those selfish desires, or we need to be like Simon Peter in that instance where he took what Paul said. He had to listen mm-hmm. to it, and I'm sure he wasn't happy about it, but uh, we all know Simon Peter throughout Scripture. He was a little hard-headed and stubborn, and I yeah, relate yeah. to that very well myself. <laughs> but he, I'm sure he heard what Paul said and didn't like it, but had to come to the conclusion that what Paul said was right and took it without arguing too much. Uh, so, so put your desires aside. But Paul instructs Timothy to remind believers several times uh, not to quarrel amongst each other in second Timothy chapter 2 verse 14 remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers and then if you go down a little bit further in second Timothy chapter 2 verse 23 through 25 he says have nothing to do with foolish and I like some other translations it says stupid instead of foolish right, have nothing right. to do with stupid ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness and so as christians we're called to pursue peace and unity that's what we're, we're called to do. And when it comes to quarrels, when the world tries to fight us, we're not called to even quarrel with them in the same way that they quarrel with us. As you know very well that on the public stage, uh, Christianity is often mocked and we're called bigots. And many Christians, even in return, you know, complain about how evil the world is and lash out and fight the world the same way that the world is fighting the church. But that's not how we're called to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, As the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. That's what Paul writes to Timothy there. Able to teach patiently enduring evil, just as God was long-suffering with us in our sin as well. Correcting our opponents with gentleness. So even when there's a quarrel, brought to the table we're called to handle it a lot different than the world and again we must pursue peace 
and unity. That's what Paul writes in Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Amen. So, Brother Brandon, what do you got to say about that passage? Well, I think you've expounded this point really well, especially in bringing out all these New Testament instructions about not being quarrelsome. And again, the very fact that these commands exist in Scripture tells us that as believers, we do have that sinful tendency to be quarrelsome. Mm -hmm. If we never had a problem with it, if we were always agreeable and just loving one another and looking out for one another, then there'd be a lot of blank space in the New Testament, wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we have all these commands because we struggle with this issue. And Mm -hmm. James knows we do as well. And that's why he is giving us this sharp rebuke as a loving pastor would. Right. And so going back to the crux of the issue here, James finally answers this question about where these quarrels and conflicts come from in this passage of scripture here in James chapter four. He answers this in the latter part of verse one, as Chris already alluded to. He says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? And he's basically saying very simply here, the the tried and true cause of all conflicts and bickering among true believers are the evil desires that rage within our hearts. And he says they war within us. He's kind of picturing them like a maddened army ready to take over and and seize their opponents. Yeah. So again, our evil desires are the cause of this disunity and this conflict. And uh, Peter the Apostle, going back to mentioning Simon Peter, mm-hmm. he talks about this as well in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, talking about true believers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which Mm -hmm. wage war against your soul. Peter tells us similarly there that these passions of the flesh, they're at war against us. They're not on our side. Mm -hmm. They are our opponents, our enemies, our adversaries. And what James is saying here is that these passions of our flesh actually war against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they're selfish desires, they're self-centered desires that we try to fulfill at the expense of others. And just to further clarify this, the word for passions here in the Greek in this passage in James uh, is hedon, Mm -hmm. from which we derive the term hedonism, which talks about just fulfilling all of your pleasures and desires and that that's the highest good. That's the ultimate goal. And so the idea here is a burning lust, not desire itself because desire itself is not always evil. You know, we, we have to have desire in order to will and make choices, Mm -hmm. but he's talking about an evil desire an infantile craving, if you will, that throws a tantrum if it doesn't get its way. Right. An obsessive, desire and hunger that causes you to have tunnel vision mm-hmm. and infatuation that drags your heart around on a leash. A spiritual two-year-old. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if this were written in the modern day, perhaps he might use that metaphor. <laughs> but again, you know, desires are not really the issue. Um, 
desires can be good. They can be evil. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about being hungry and thirsty, for example, those are natural desires, natural longings. It's part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But being hungry and thirsty for the fulfillment of our own sinful pleasures and ambitions, especially at the expense of Christian unity, that is unnatural. And that's wicked. Right. And that's what James is warning us against here. In fact, uh, in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, the Apostle Paul said that this kind of desire should be very far from us. Mm -hmm. It was actually characteristic of all of us when we were unredeemed and unsaved. Right. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Mm -hmm. He's saying that belongs to the old man, the old way. And we don't need to bring it along in our new Christian pilgrimage. At one time, we were slaves, servants to these various passions and self-centered pleasures. Mm -hmm. But when you have a change of heart, not turning over a new leaf, but when God changes your heart through the gospel, those desires ought to be changed. Right. And we shouldn't have a desire just for our own selfish pursuits and pleasures. We should have a desire to serve others and look out for their spiritual welfare. Right. That's why Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, that we're not to look only to our own interests, mm -hmm. but also to the interests of others. And earlier in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, yeah. but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah. That's the very opposite of this sinful, fleshly desire that James is talking about here. Right. And so we need to ask ourselves as we think about these things, who is ultimately, or what is ultimately in control of us? Are we dominated by our own sinful pleasures and uh, sinful desires? Or does God and His will dominate and control us? Well, if we are controlled by these sinful desires, we see some consequences of this as we continue on in this passage. And here are the consequences, according to James in verses 2 and 3. He says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so lastly, as he wraps this discussion up, James talks about the repercussions and the consequences of these evil desires that end up having their way. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a very strong warning to us to keep our desires in check and to repent of evil desires and to ensure that what we desire is ultimately good, holy, and unifying. Yeah. And what is James saying here when he says you, you know, you do you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. Basically what he's saying here is you'll start to go mad and you'll start to do crazy things when you don't get what you want. Yeah. When your flesh is consumed with a hunger for selfish fulfillment, when you feel like you have to win an argument or get all the votes 
at the church business meeting or get everybody over to your side. And when you don't get your way in any of those things, James is telling you, that's when you really start to lose control. Yes. And what is really shocking is the example he gives here. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Mm-hmm. He's saying his readers were even willing to kill to get their way. Now, there's some commentators and scholars that think this may be referring to actual murder, and it really could be. We really don't know. Right. It could there's, be saying that... People they have did, killed over quarrels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People have killed over far less, you know. Yeah. But it could have been the case that they didn't get their way, so they just literally took matters into their own hands. Mm-hmm. There could be a figurative meaning here as well, where James is saying, you know, you're willing to kill your uh, accord of love and your bond of fellowship. Right. You're willing to murder fellowship. But really, what he is specifically talking about is really not the point here. The point is that they had the willingness to do it. Right. They had that willingness. That's how far their unchecked desires took them. Mm-hmm. As the message translation says, you lust for what you don't have and you are willing to kill to get it. Right. Wow, that's that's how far these unchecked desires will take us. Mm-hmm. And that's similarly, he, yeah, exactly. And similarly, he talks about coveting and desiring something that doesn't belong to us. Yeah. And he says in the case of his readers, the audience to whom he was writing, that they were fighting and quarreling when these covetous desires went unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you think about it, that's a real life example of what James literally just said in verse one. What is it that causes fights and quarrels? Your sinful desires. And here he's stating it in a reverse way. Your sinful desires that go unfulfilled is what causes those quarrels. Yeah. And then he takes us down an unanticipated side path in talking about prayer, where he says you have not because you ask not. And really what he's talking about here is a failure to pray properly. Right. Now, we all know the idiom that comes from this passage that we have not when we pray not. Mm-hmm. In other words, we have unfulfilled good desires, and there are good things that we want that we don't receive because we haven't asked the Lord for them. You know, that's true. And that's why Jesus encourages us to ask for what we need in prayer. He assures us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Mm -hmm. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And later on in that passage, Jesus actually tells us, you know, if you have a son that uh, asks his father for bread, he's not going to give him a stone. He's not going to turn around. He's going to give him what he's asking for because it's what he needs. And he encourages Mm -hmm. us to bring our requests to God, knowing that God is our gracious heavenly father who provides what, what his children need. Right. So if there's something we need, if there's a request that we have in our lives, we need to bring it before God. He will meet that need. Mm -hmm. And many times we don't have those needs met because we're not praying about them. We're not bringing those burdens to the Lord. Right. Now, that's an important point. That should be an encouragement to prayer. But in returning to this passage, that's not exactly the point that James is making here. 
He's actually saying, look, we need to understand something about prayer. Mm-hmm. It actually has some rules. Prayer is not the same thing as sitting on Santa's lap. Right. You don't just bring a list of everything you want to God and tell him about it and expect all of it. Mm-hmm. When you pray, it must be in accord with God's will, mm-hmm. with a heart of faith, in the name of Christ, and it must come from a pure heart. Yes. James is telling his readers here, look, you can ask God all day long to fulfill your selfish and sinful desires, and he is not going to answer you. And that's what he meant in saying, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Therefore, that improper praying comes in. They were Mm -hmm. praying uh, for these selfish desires to be fulfilled, and God wasn't going to fulfill that for them, looking out for their own spiritual welfare. Yeah. Again, returning to the message translation on this, um, I'm giving it a big endorsement today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It says uh, in a very helpful way, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each wanting your own way. And so, again, a very good translation of this that... Spiritual you know, two-year-old. Have, yeah, spiritual two-year-old, going back to that. But he's saying, look, you know, you have no right to ask God to fulfill these sinful desires. Mm-hmm. He's not going to do that because it's not in accordance with his will. Yeah. Prayers for these things will go unanswered. And if you think about it, that is a great mercy to us. I mean, can you imagine all of the pits of pain, storms of trouble and snares of guilt that we would indeed suffer if we always got what we hoped for in our hearts and prayed for? Yeah, It's a mercy that God holds those things back and, and uh, chooses not to answer some of those yeah. prayers. And, and I like how... James writes these very simple things for us that really have very deep understandings to a point to where we can talk for well over 30 minutes on, on some of these things. But even in the simplicity of this, as, as we talk about this, we could probably talk about it for another couple of days, honestly. Right, right. But I think the simple thing to it is you gain nothing when you put your desires before the will of God. Because right. that leads to a constant dissatisfaction, causing you to go down a destructive path, searching for your desires. As uh, a personal testimony myself, and uh, hope y'all understand that I'm not a perfect person. Uh, and uh, but when I was in college, I didn't do the right thing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I tried for a little while. I was I was trying to walk that narrow path and and follow God and do as he was calling me to. But I had a lot of bitterness and that bitterness led to me putting my desires before the will of God. And before I knew it, I was doing all of the things that I swore I'd never do. And I found one big thing that really brought me down was going out to these college parties and Mm -hmm. and drinking and partaking in that. And for a moment, my desires were fulfilled and it seemed fun. And I'm, I never tell people like, Hey, the party wasn't fun at all because at that moment, while you're there, your desires are satisfied for a fraction of a moment. It seems like right. Everything's going on. It's going how you wanted it to, but guess what? The party always ends. Mm -hmm. And after that party ends, 
my my desires were no longer fulfilled and I was left wanting and I was left miserable and distraught waiting for the next party to take place. And what that led to me doing was going down a very destructive path of finding a way to party every night because that was my evil desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thank God that he pulled me out of that. He He gave me some sense to stand back up and get away from that and never go back to those things again. But you gain nothing when you put your desire before the will of God. And when you do that, it it always leaves you unsatisfied and always wanting for more, which leads you to a great path of destruction. And when you ask for your desires that are contrary to God's righteousness and God's will, guess what? You're not going to receive what you asked for. And what we must do is not continue asking God for the things that we desire that are outside of his will. Things like, I want a new Ferrari, or I want a bigger house, or I want all of these things. Uh, God's going to provide our needs to keep us going, and he's going to provide our needs to continue in his word and his will in preaching the gospel. That's what he's going to provide for. I'm not saying he doesn't provide in, in some, I mean, there have been times where he's provided me with more than I could have ever imagined. Right. Uh, but, but a lot of times I, those were things I didn't even ask for. Those were mm-hmm. things he just blessed me with. But uh, when you ask for your, your desires that are contrary to God's will, he's not going to give it to you. I don't know what it is that you might ask for, but he's not going to give it to you. So here's what we need to do. We need to adjust our sights and focus on what really matters. I like what the psalmist writes in Psalm 66, verse 18. He goes on, he's talking about how blessed he is and how God hears him. But he comes to this point in verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened Wow! If what I wanted went against what God wanted, it wouldn't have been heard. It wouldn't have been a prayer that had been answered. And I like what John writes in 1 John five fourteen as well. And this is the confidence we have toward him. That if we ask anything, here's the underlining part, according to his will, he hears us. Amen. So ultimately, here's what it comes down to. This whole passage. God's will should come before your desires. Your desires will lead to quarrels between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it will lead you down a destructive path. There's a reason that the scripture time and time again tells us to put our desires, our wants to the side and follow God's will. To desire God's will over our selfish ambitions, over our evil desires. And so I would encourage you to take this to heart, to put the things of this world aside, stop desiring after the world. And if you're going to desire anything at all, desire to follow the will of God. Brother Brandon, do you have any last thoughts? Sure. You know, I think it's interesting. This passage is mainly negative. It's mainly a rebuke. You know, mm-hmm. he says, you look at the Christian church at large and you see quarreling and conflict. That's not a good thing. Well, what is it that causes this evil to transpire? 
and he's answered over and over that evil desires mm-hmm. are the are, are to blame. They are responsible for these quarrels and conflicts. And if we think about it, what's really encouraging is that the opposite of this can also be true. Right. That if we will do what you were just talking about, if we will put God's will first and put others before ourselves and toss out our sinful, selfish desires, let them lay aside, mm-hmm. then we will see not quarreling and conflict, but brotherly love, yes, accord, and gospel broadcasting unity. Mm-hmm. And I say gospel broadcasting unity because this unity that is produced by putting others first and putting ourselves last is a testimony to the world of what God through Christ and the gospel can do in a person's heart. Yes. And that's a beautiful, encouraging picture. Yes, definitely. Well, brother, I thank you for all that you've shared tonight as we've gone through that. And brother Brandon and I want to thank all of you, our listeners for joining us on another episode of the faith 168 podcast our adversary the devil he wants to see us quarrel he wants to see us fight but if we focus on living faithfully for jesus 168 hours every week then guess what he will not prevail god's will will prevail so i encourage you this week live for jesus live for him Put your desires aside. Focus on the will of God. And I promise you that unlike following your desires where you're left unsatisfied, following the will of God will never leave you wanting, will never leave you unsatisfied. Amen. So follow him this week. Thank you all for joining us. Let us pray as we dismiss today. Father, I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together and worship you once more through this podcast. I just pray that as we go forward and as we have heard your word and discussed your word today, that we take it to heart, that we take a long look in the mirror and and check ourselves to see if there's any quarrels among us, if there's any evil desires that are getting in our way and keeping us from living faithfully for you here in this world. And if there's anything like that going on in our lives, Father, give us the ability to walk away from that and to focus on your will. Help us to become more unified, not just in our own personal faith with you, but as a church, as we walk forward together as a church, a body of believers. Help us to become more unified in your love in one accord so that we can go out and reach this lost and dying world for your glory. Father, we love you and we thank you for the many blessings you have given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 Podcast Facebook page and we will see you in 168 hours.